Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. After he was baptized by John, Jesus was led by, up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Begun the season of Lent, this time of preparation in which we prepare for the great mystery of God's redemption and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We begin the stories of temptation that we find in Holy Scripture, the story of Jesus being pushed into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit in which he wrestles with the devil for 40 days. And we hear the story of Adam and Eve who wrestled with the serpent in the Garden of Eden. If you know how the story goes, Adam and Eve have been created by God. They've been placed in this most perfect place that you can imagine. In one section of Genesis um, it is, describes uh, God coming down to the garden and taking Adam and Eve by hand and walking with them in the cool of an evening. Imagine just for a moment, you know those kind of spring or fall evenings where it's just warm enough that it still feels good, but it's not hot enough that you're sitting there going, geez, I hope this walk doesn't last too long. Imagine just going and walking in the beauty of a garden with the God who created you and loved you, grasping you by the hand and walking. Whatever it is that we think about this story, let me just tell you, and I don't want to break anybody's uh, heart here when I say this, but this story is a story that we would often place within literature as a story of myth. And when we often hear the word myth, we think of it in like negative sense of it's not true, but this is like the most true story that I could think about. God who created us wants to be with us and wants to hold our hands 
and wants to walk in the garden with us. We know that the writers of this story knew that we were not supposed to be recording history because they have a talking snake who sits there and has a conversation with Adam and with Eve and snakes do not talk. And so unless you can speak parcel tongue, (laughs) Harry Potter reference, there is no way that Adam and Eve could speak to the snake, but rather it's the story about why it is that paradise has been lost. What went wrong? I think that at the heart of what Adam and Eve wanted was something that all of us want, was, which is this goodness of God. It was their desire to have God, to, to, to know God, to be as much like God as possible. They just went about it in the wrong way. And so something happened to us in our relationship with God and with one another. Elmer Smick, when he reflects on this passage, says that since God's purpose for our first parents was never-ending life, that the introduction of death was an undesirable but necessary result of humankind's disobedience. The physical corruption of the human body and the consequent suffering and pain brought by the fall were only the obvious symptoms of death. Death is the consequence and the punishment of sin. It originated with sin. It is the grand theme of the Old Testament that God's holiness, which separates God from all that is not in harmony with his character, death. Death then in the Old Testament means ultimate separation from God. It's why Christians demanded that, God, that Jesus really did die. He didn't just simply kind of go to sleep for a little bit in the tomb. He really did die. And that Jesus really did rise from the dead, defeating that punishment from our sin. Adam and Eve looked at the tree, this thing that God had created, this thing that was beautiful, and saw that it was good for food. They saw that it was pleasant to the eye, and they desired to be wise. All of those things are good things in and of themselves, right? But misused or abused or valued wrongly, they can lead us astray. go and you driving around and you see the most perfect car that you can imagine and suddenly you can imagine yourself in that car. We sit there and we see the eyes of another person and we begin to desire them in unhealthy ways. We can see food which is there to nourish us, lure us away from satisfying ourselves in healthy ways. A few weeks ago, we heard from Jesus who said that it is better for us to pluck out our eye or to cut off our hand than to sin. Hearing the story of Adam and Eve who saw and then grasped, Jesus says that sin begins with the sight and ends with us taking what is not good for us. 
James in his letter tells us that those who are wrestling with temptation, that the solution or the antidote to it is to live a life of generosity. We all wrestle, we all, and, and unless I'm alone, we all, we all wrestle with the temptations of things in life. Wrestle with the temptation of having more and more. Wrestling with the temptation of not feeling like we don't measure up to our neighbors. Wrestling with the, with, with the temptation of thinking that we have to achieve and work harder so that we can prove our worth in a world that tells us that is what is most important. Or because of the pain of the loss and the brokenness of these relationships, we cover the pain with things that are not good for us, but simply deaden the pain and the reality for just a little bit. And these passages about temptation invite us to consider what it is that we really want and what it is that we really need. These temptations that Jesus faces in the desert, the temptation to have food, the temptation to have power, the temptation to be safe, are all temptations that Jesus will have to wrestle with later in Matthew's gospel when he is on the cross. Somebody offers him some wine to deaden the pain. Somebody offers him an out by calling down the angels to bring him to safety. So it's not that temptations are bad because temptations are something that allow us to, to, um, to overcome future temptations. We might think about it in terms of driving down a dirt road in which the ruts of the road keep us in a centered place. Don't let us go too far off from one side to another. Yes, it may not be as exciting as going and driving through the potholes, but the ruts of the road will keep us in the center. And that's what our spiritual practices invite us to do to fight against temptation. There is a movie on Netflix called Stalker tells the allegory of three men who journey across a post-nuclear wasteland. Shrouded in mystery, there's a character called Stalker who guides two other characters across the burnout remains of a deserted civilization. <coughs> Stalker is leading them to this post-apocalyptic oasis simply called the Zone. Stalker has promised them that in the center of the zone that there is a place that is called the room. And in the room, Stalker says, they will achieve their heart's desire. In the room, their dreams will come true. In the room, you will get exactly what you want. Sounds like a worthwhile promise for such a journey. Only when they arrive at the room, the two others get cold feet. They're overcome with second thoughts as the frightening thought occurs to them. What if when we get what we really want, we're a stranger to who we are now? What if I don't, want, what if I don't know what I want, says one of the characters. Well, Stalker explains to them, that's what the room is there to decide. The room reveals you. It reveals all. Everything about you, what you get is not what you think you wish for, but what you most deeply wish for. 
At the edge of the room, what has sounded like a dream begins to feel like a nightmare. Rather than the escaping of the ruins of God's apocalyptic judgment, it begins to feel like they're going to enter into it. Anticipation turns to dread as the characters both have an epiphany about what terrifies them the most. What if they don't want what they think that they want? In other words, what if they are not who they think they are? In a book about the film, critic Jeff Dyer says this, not many people can confront the truth about themselves. If they did, they would take an immediate and profound dislike to the person in whose skin they had learned to sit quite comfortably for years. Every Sunday, this is where Christianity and these cultural stories change because in Christianity, God knows us exactly who we are. God knows us as we would know ourselves if we went into that room and God loves us and accepts us anyways. Each Sunday, we pray a prayer that says, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. St. Augustine says that God knows us better than we know ourselves. In essence, God, we stand naked before God and God accepts us and loves us and shows mercy to us. C.S. Lewis once said, what is the most significant conversation that you have every day? And most people would say, your conversation of God, with God, of course. But C.S. Lewis says, no, it's the conversation that you have with yourself before you speak to God. Because in that conversation with yourself, you decide whether you're going to be honest and authentic with God or whether you're going to meet God with a mask, a false face, or an act of pretense to avoid the truth that God already knows. In this season of Lent, we're invited to be our true selves before God and to take away those masks and to be comfortable with our own skin. To ask the questions of what it is that we really want and do they align with the kingdom of God? And when they don't, are we willing to let those things down? Or do they give us a sense of comfort and normalcy in a world that says that is the greatest good? Amen.